the Lord has said that he's responsible to provide for me and for my family. My responsibility is to love him and to love other people, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And everything else is his responsibility. He'll take care of that. And whether it's the grass in the field or the birds of the air, if I look at them, they don't toil or spin. They don't worry, but he, he takes care of them. And so he has always provided for our family for these three decades plus that that there's nothing in our life that we have not received as a gift. There's nothing. Welcome to It's Not About the Money, a podcast in search of grounded fundraising. I'm Heather, and together with my co-host, Andy, we look beyond the quick tips and formulas. Join us as we explore the nuance and complexity of ministry fundraising. If you want to thrive in partner development, not just survive it, this is the place for you. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. In the initial stages of fundraising, the goal is defined and getting the all clear to go can feel like crossing a finish line. Uh, Though that is definitely a moment to celebrate, it's just the beginning. Maintaining meaningful relationships with your partners and continuing to trust God for his provision isn't a set it and forget it. So today, let's explore the postures and practices of grounded, healthy, long-term support-based living. All right, I'm excited. And today we are going to talk about these things with Andy. Andy and his family currently serve with Campus Outreach, an organization that he has been involved with to some degree since his own time as a student at Troy University. Though they are currently stateside, Andy and his family spent over two decades overseas. In total, he and his family have been part of support-based work for the past 30 years. That is amazing. (laughs) That is three decades of dependence on the Lord and pursuit of partners. It was recently said of Andy that he has one of the most encouraging and contagious positive outlooks on fundraising. We are honored and excited to chat with Andy ourselves today. Andy, do you mind sharing a bit with us about your overall journey to support-based ministry, and how did you get where you are now? Well, thank you. Uh, It's really great to be with you guys. This is uh, a joy. I've been friends with Andy for, goodness gracious, uh, an (laughs) awful long time. I haven't even sat down to, to calculate, Andy, how long we've been it's been a couple friends. of decades. It has been a while, yes. But uh, so I actually was involved in Camp Sarge as a student, as you mentioned there in the intro. And each of the staff members with CO uh, raised their own personal funding and uh, have a support team around them. Uh, but my, my own family is a ministry family. My father was a minister and so was heavily connected to the faith-based and, and ministry life. And then dad transitioned from a, a preaching pastorate into a, a missions pastor role in the early 80s. The best estimate we have is he was one of the the first missions pastors in the, the evangelical church movement. And and so we, we had an awful lot of people engaging with our home church, uh, seeking to, to build support teams, having them attend conferences and reporting about their their work around the world. And so that was a normal part of my upbringing. And so being involved in the campus ministry, seeing the staff raising their funds was, was relatively normative as well. So when I graduated and went on staff with CO, it was not a, a foreign concept or a new idea for me. It's something that mm-hmm. had been around quite a bit. And so mm-hmm. moving into uh, support raising was, was fairly natural. And then it's just continued. Each of the calls 
as the Lord has has called us from U.S.-based campus ministry to international campus ministry and now back to the U.S., uh, each of those transitions has just continued to be a support-based funding uh, structure, and God has just been really gracious as our team has has shifted a bit around the edges, but the core of our support team has been remarkably consistent and stable throughout mm. those, those decades. But 30, 30 years, Andy, did you have any idea what you're getting yourself into? Oh, he- heavens no. <laughs> uh, if, if somebody had told me when I was, uh, you know, their graduation that I was going to going to be in ministry for 30 years, much less uh, support based ministry for 30 years, I wouldn't have started. Um, <laughs> and I think that's uh, that's the Lord's grace yeah. to us. Yeah. Um, although if I knew then what I know now, I would have run into it. Mm. Uh, it is mm. it is intimidating, actually, to think about not being on support at this point. Mm. The community of people that are around us, the people that are uh, aware of our life, that pray for us, that are connected to us, that mm. that love my wife and I and our children. You know, we don't mm. do a Christmas card at the end of the year. We have communication with with our this really strong group of people, a committed community of people uh, throughout the year. Sure. And so a Christmas card almost feels anticlimactic, <laughs> whereas it seems like most people they'll send out a Christmas card at the end of the year to try to keep people updated <laughs> on what's happened over the past year. Well, we do that on a, on a monthly and in some cases even biweekly basis. So so yeah. just the concept of not having that type of community is, is intimidating and scary. Yeah, that's interesting. You could just send out a letter or a picture of yourself and just say, you all know. that's right that's right yeah yeah i was just i was just thinking about that i was talking about this with a client uh just the other day and kind of like missing that sense of when i was on the field i would just turn to my wife or even just kind of reflect and like i feel like people are praying for us right now Mm. i feel that do you ever get Mm -hmm. that sense oh a hundred percent and when there are issues, um, I'll be honest with you, last night I was in the emergency room, uh, a family situation, yeah. and and it was instinctive and natural to say, I, I need to communicate with a group of people, you know, what's going on, we, we need support, we need some prayer here, we need help. Mm. It was instinctive and natural to communicate that be, because they are, they're that deeply connected and involved in our lives, and for the most part, we with them. And that feels like a closer example or model of what the church is supposed to be like. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, even the theme here that you guys have chosen for this particular episode, this is a, this is a two-way relationship. It's not, uh, I'm trying to find support for, for what God's called me to do. We would tell you we've never raised money. Mm-hmm. We raise people. Mm-hmm. In fact, the scripture would tell us that that's what our responsibility is, is to build laborers, to make disciples, to love God and love people, not not to go out and try to find money. The Lord's got all the money. He tells us to pray for the Lord to send out laborers into the harvest. He tells us to go and make disciples. He calls us uh, to warn everyone and teach everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ there in Colossians 1.28. The, our, our call is people. Mm-hmm. And as we love people and pursue them and they're connected to us, the, the financial resources, the other uh, prayer support, uh, even care packages and visits and things like that, those are all byproducts of this this relational dynamic. And it starts from day one. How you form and build that team is is how you continue it and and, and, and what comes out of it um, mm-hmm. on both sides. So we pray for our, our partners. We're, uh, we visit them. We call them. We engage with them even as, as we would hope and want for them to, to pursue and connect with us. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
Yeah, we wholeheartedly agree. I mean, as the title of the podcast suggests, it is not about the money. There is a deeper work and in yeah. that partnership is is the point. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, I guess within that context, you know, thinking back to the early days, I heard you just say that the way you start out will really shape the way you do this long term. Did you have any formal training in fundraising when you when you got started in campus ministry? Yeah, well, again, because of Dad, uh, Dad's role uh, in missions, have listened to and heard and been exposed to missionaries that were, were coming to the church and, and, and seeking support and, and engagement there. But when I went on staff with Camps Outreach, we did go through some, some formal training. There was a book that we used at the time. It was published in 93 called People Raising by William Dillon. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's old school, and, and you can buy used copies, I think, on the Internet now. It's, it's actively in print. But that shaped a lot of my philosophy and view on on that. Um, And so even as I transitioned into my international work, uh, there was less formal training at that point. Uh, There was some kind of advice or some suggestions, but there wasn't a lot of formal training. But I was fortunate having already been in a fundraising situation and a support raising situation before I brought that training with me. In fact, to be honest with you, um, the, the organization I served with, they were still using black and white uh, prayer cards uh, when I joined. And, and I, I said, can I, can, I make my, can I make my own? Because I, I, that, that's not really going to be engaging with people. So yeah. I made my own support cards yeah. outside of the organization. In fact, there was a, a tear-off portion. Three, we had three different teams we tried to raise instead of financial support. We asked people to indicate that they wanted to be part of the prayer team part of the financial giving team, and then what we called the gopher team. Hmm. Um, the, the, the place we served internationally was um, was not particularly westernized or, or didn't have a lot of access to, to Western items. And so you, know, you get people asking, hey, is there, I don't have a lot of money. Uh, you know, I certainly will pray for you, but is there anything else we can do? And you get that, that, that odd category of what else can we do? Yeah. And so we, we put this gopher team together where they could send care packages. Every now and then you, you'd think of something, say, hey, could I write you and say, could you uh, potentially make a phone call for me um, or, or these odd, odd tasks that we might need help with that we can't anticipate, but it, it wouldn't involve money. But in doing that, all three of those mini teams were part of this broader partnership team that were getting communication and building relationships. And, and inevitably, members of the Gopher team would, would provide financial support and end up becoming members of the financial team as well and yeah. the prayer team. Uh, would slide back and forth as well. So there, there were things that I brought into uh, some of my my experiences with with CO uh, into the other organization that um, that really served served us well. Did that so that worked well for you? Did you keep doing that over the years, having those three distinct um, kind of categories or bundles of of networking? We, we did, and, and it has shifted. I mean, it's been a long time. The place we lived became far far more exposed to to uh, our home passport countries goods and services. And so uh, we, we were less dependent on care packages. We began to, to, to put people in different categories and groupings just for communication purposes. Some people that came on the team more recently than some of our older, uh, more historical members of the teams. And so we grouped them in those ways so we could communicate differently. Uh, levels of engagement, people that had visited us, people that had uh, had hosted us in their homes, different things like that. So mm-hmm. there are different categories that we, we've ebbed and, and flowed with and experimented with. But we have probably 700 people on our regular communication community at this stage. Wow. Um, please understand, not you know, less than half of those 
are, are giving in any type of, of consistent basis. Sure. And that's 30 years. But that's right. That's right. That's exactly right. It's, it's, it's built over time. But, uh, but, you know, we send out communication, uh, we'll see, you know, 65, 70% regularly engage with the communication in, in, uh, in reading mm. and, and, and responding to the various pieces. That's mm. awesome. Great. Well, you've mentioned a few things, but uh, maybe let's just talk broadly about practices and principles, starting with practices. So were there any key practices or behaviors uh, that have shaped your, your three decades of partnership development? We, we spoke there briefly there on your people, people raising and people development. And, you know, I, I don't want this to come across the wrong way. I, I like people. And, and I would hope that people that are in ministry would like people. That, that is what ministry ultimately is, is seeking the good of, of other people for other people. And so we have embraced from day one that our ministry is not to the people group or demographic or geography that we're, we're going to only. Mm. That the Lord calls us to minister to every person that comes into our life and in our path. Mm. And he, he taught us that our neighbor is not the person geographically close to us, but the one that we encounter as we move through life through his parable of the Good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. And so our our support team is just as much ministry as the people mm-hmm. or the physical neighbors in a place we might be living and serving. Amen. So I, I think that's a, a key thing that shaped us from. So every conversation, every communication has the same goal to see them loved and forgiven and accepted and stimulate them to, to Christ-like living as it would be if I were engaging with a person in my, you know, on a university campus, a student I was seeking to reach out to, uh, to introduce to Christ for the first time or to see them discipled toward maturity. And so that, that shapes those conversations. And, and Heather, you mentioned uh, earlier, uh, you begin with the end in mind. And regardless of how long we expected to be doing this, when we got to the end of the journey, we wanted to be able to look back at fruitful labor. Mm. And fruitful labor in the, the roughly 700 people's lives that God has brought into such proximity that we have the opportunity to engage and, and love and care for them through the support mm-hmm. process. And then there are hundreds of students that the Lord has brought into our lives over our, um, our decades of ministry. And we want to be able to look back in faithfulness there as well. Neither necessarily prioritized above the other. Our, our call mm-hmm. is to be faithful to all of that. Mm-hmm. I like and that. So the, those things have been really shaping principles for us. That's such a different perspective than uh, these people are just going to fund me. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, refreshing. Yeah. That that becomes more about taking than giving. And the Lord says it's better to give than to receive. He tells us that what you sow, that you also reap. So I'll tell you a story. I ended up speaking at a church conference uh, years ago, and one of the members of the church is um, the chairman of one of, if not the largest, evangelical Christian giving uh, foundation in America. Hmm. And, and it was a smaller group of people I was meeting with. And after sharing a bit, this gentleman said, hey, you know, that was really helpful. That was real compelling. That was really good. Do you raise, do you raise money for, for this organization or whatnot? And I said, no, sir. I raise people. And the money seems to, to take care of itself. I remember it just because of who that gentleman was and, and mm. potentially un, unintentionally low EQ in my response to him because I wasn't trying to dismiss the importance of funding. But I've, I've always been inspired by a Hudson Taylor quote that God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Mm-hmm. 
And the Lord has said that he's responsible to provide for me and for my family. My responsibility is to love him and to love other people, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And everything else is his responsibility. He'll take care of that. And uh, whether it's the grass in the field or the birds of the air, if I look at them, they don't toil or spin. They don't worry, but he, he takes care of them. And so he has always provided for our family for, for these three decades plus that, that there's nothing in our life that we have not received as a gift. There's nothing, whether it's the medical insurance that have paid for the delivery of my children or the cars that we drive, the clothes that we wear, the things in our home. There's nothing that's not been a gift. Now, that, that's true for all of us. All right. of life is a gift. Right. But for those of us who have the privilege of living in faith-based support-raising structures, it's a tangible you know, daily reality that that presses us into the, the spiritual reality that we're supposed to operate in regardless of how we receive. And so we consider just an incredible privilege and a joy. Right. Would you say that there was anything from training or practices that you stopped doing because it didn't prove helpful or effective or you kind of realized like, I don't, I don't actually think that's biblical or beneficial. Yeah. Like how have you changed as a fundraiser over time? You know, obviously, you referenced it, Andy, at the beginning, the initial support raising process, there's this clear goal. There is a, a launch date, a, a, you know, a deployment mm-hmm. window that you're aiming for. And so there are measurable, tangible, you know, benchmarks of progress that you're, you're wanting to communicate to people, hey, this is, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. Once we've, we, we begin to move past that, we were, you know... It's almost an issue of inertia, I guess. There, it takes a lot of energy to kind of get things moving mm. relationally. But as as those relationships are moving forward, it takes less inertia, less energy, rather, excuse me, to keep the plane flying, I guess. Maybe that's a better way to say it. And so, but you can't mistake that for no energy. It does require mm. investment in those relationships and, and work to continue to communicate. We we don't just suppose that someone who signs up or, or commits to support monthly, like that's a bill that they're paying as much as a utility bill or a rent payment, and that they owe us that. Hmm. It's a it's a it's a relational commitment, and we mm-hmm. we want to be faithful to communicate and engage with them. Uh, so so one of the things that we stopped doing was more formal presentations to individuals. You know, a PowerPoint presentation, or sure. hey, can I can I show you what we're going to do? And, and there are some strategies where, where people would say, you know, you sit down with a person, you kind of lay out, here's the, here's the need, here's the crisis, here's the solution, and invite them to be a part of, of funding that solution to this problem or whatnot. And, and that, that's great. That's just not who we are. We were far more vision casting fundraisers than crisis or need based fundraisers. Mm. Sure. When, when push comes to shove, I'm actually a terrible fundraiser. If, <laughs> if, if you were to, 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 to put me in a, in a session where people were, were training on how to raise money, I, I do a terrible job. And I've had remarkably few conversations where I've sat across from a table from a person and talked them through, here's the situation, here's what's going on, would you give this amount of money? It, it's an incredibly small number of conversations like that. Mm-hmm. In fact, the very first time when, we went, when I was going international, I sent out my first wave of communication to people. And remember, some of these had been been involved in in ministry with me as a student when I did summer trips or summer projects, and then as I was on staff with CO. But the need going international was much bigger. So as we began to push out into a broader need, 
Yeah. I sent out a wave of letters explaining to people about the opportunity that was coming up. Would love to follow up with them and connect with them. About they might have a part in this exciting opportunity. And the, those response cards I mentioned to you with the three teams and the perforations and the tear off, they could send those in. Yeah. My intention was to follow up those letters with a, with a phone call and, and to begin to engage in the, the quote unquote support meeting. And guys, before the first phone call, enough response cards had come in to cover the, the first two years of being overseas. <laughs> wow. And, and I recognize that's not normal. And, right. and, and, and part of that's a mercy. And we've never been in deficit since then. And it's not us. I just, I, I have to just tell you, it's not us. There is no strategy. There is no yeah. formula. We've, we've just really sought to love people and pursue and communicate, uh, over communicate actually is one of our, our principles yeah. with people. In fact, at one point, we ended up in a situation where we had too much support and we knew some, some of our supporters were struggling. And so we wrote them and said, Hey, listen, we understand what's going on right now. Our account balance is, is quite, quite flush. And, and, and we've got a, a, a core group of people that are so faithful and consistent in their giving. If it would bless you guys and help you, you know, we, we can make it without your giving right now. And I don't know what's coming in the future. That's not part of my responsibility, but, but my concern for you is such that if it would help you with your budgeting and stewardship, you know, we, it's not a betrayal. You're not backing out. You're still a part of this. You know, we know you guys are committed, but if you need to do this, and the, the guy said, um, you know, we've given a ton of money to people and we support a bunch of different people. He said, we've never had anybody say, hey, we we have too much or we don't need. And he said, I, I trust you because you would say that. He said, when, when we can, we will start back. Or if you have a need, I need you to tell me, but I, I'll trust you. That's the kind of commitment we would we would want to have, whether it's our, our law students that we're seeking to love with authenticity and, and genuineness. They're not projects. They're people that we care about and love. Right. And it's the same with our support team. They're not projects that we're trying to, to coax into yeah. giving money. They're, they're, they're friends that we, we co-labor with. And so guys has been real gracious in those ways to, to provide and, and has continued to do yeah. so. And that's that's a that's a note that I think we strike again and again and again that it's not about the formula. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are things that we could probably apply and kind of here's some strategies for you guys um, as you're fundraising. But I think that's important to remember and hit mm-hmm. that note again. Yeah. So you know, I I hear you saying that it's not it's not necessarily anything you guys are doing. It's the Lord's provision. But I I do just want to call out that I think that kind of going back to a principle that you said of just being faithful, you know, being faithful, loving people. And given that you have 700 people (laughs) that you are partnering with and that you have a heart to intentionally love and communicate with them. How do you juggle that? How do you juggle that? Yeah. Well, I do think I do think organization and support raising is often undervalued by people who are raising money. It's mm-hmm. like it's the organization or the ministry's responsibility to keep up with that. We don't view it that way. We believe it's our responsibility and our stewardship. These these relationships are our privilege. And we certainly, as we've chosen organizations that we worked with, uh, a, a component and the factor of choosing an agency certainly is how do they view donors and supporters and, uh, you know, are we in alignment in those things? So, you know, the stewardship and the integrity of communicating with them. But we actually have a tool that enables us to keep all of these folks, uh, their addresses and their their email addresses and phone numbers and those types of things. And we're regularly updating those things. Um, I mentioned to you the, the subdivision. So we use some software that enables us to group people and tag them so that as we pray for them, we can do that in different groupings. Okay. 
some of those relationships are primarily my wife's. And so she will, will run point in communication, communicating with some of them. Some of them come into our family through me. And so I'll, I'll be the point person for some of those. We have decided as a family, uh, as a couple rather, from a gifting standpoint, uh, which one of us is better suited to do some of the, the, the communication and management of some of those things. And so we certainly default in that direction. But it is, um, it's a shared responsibility. Our whole family has the call to ministry. It's not me. Mm-hmm. It's not my wife. It's, it's all of us, even the, the children. Mm. And so at, when COVID began and the lockdowns were, were starting around the world, you know, we recognized pretty quickly uh, that a lot of the people on our teams were being affected. Our support team was being affected by this. And so we sat down, all four of us, with a base email, but then we spent a whole day writing all of our supporters' individual emails making sure that they were okay, finding out how the the pandemic was impacting them, what type of stress and anxiety and fears they were dealing with and how we could be praying for them. And so the children, they're in high school and college at this point, but they were uh, obviously at home and they sat down and and chose people from the list that they had the personal relationship with and, and customized and personalized that communication to them so that we could maintain the, the posture of community and care. I would be remiss to say that there was a an expectation that in loving them that way, that they would then turn around and ask us, how are y'all and how can we pray for y'all? But that wasn't an, uh, a disingenuous motivation. Our genuine concern was for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes a lot of work to do that. Mm-hmm. But the benefit has been we maintain positive balances throughout the lockdown and, and whatnot as well. So it, God does that. It's not, it wasn't our strategy. It wasn't our, our deal. I'm very aware of that. But it is yeah. how the, the Lord led us as a family to seek to love and serve in those moments and how he chose then to respond and to pride for us. Talk to us a little bit about people that have influenced you as you specifically in the in the realm of partnership development. Is there anybody that's inspired you as you've kind of formed this vision? Well, I mentioned Hudson Taylor earlier, and he certainly has. As I've read his biography, he would travel around the UK, around the United States, speaking, typically seeking to recruit additional laborers for the work he was doing, but did not take up offerings. His primary concern wasn't finances, it was people. And yet the finances came behind mm-hmm. as as he sought to do the work of disciple making, labor building and things like that. So he's been a huge inspiration. William Carey, uh, a big inspiration. Um, one of the fathers of modern missions gone to India. And he, you know, he was famous for saying, expect get great things from God and attempt great things for God. Uh, George Mueller has been inspirational in his orphanage. Mr. Mueller was actually a pastor, was, was trying to raise money. He went, went to members of his parish church, asking them to give to care for orphans. And in each situation, people would say, we don't have any extra money. Mm-hmm. We don't have any money to spare. We can't do this. We can't give. We're, we're tapped out. And so, you know, the miraculous work that he did in, in seeing God provide without asking for money, the resources to fund those orphanage homes just through prayer alone, he really did it to demonstrate to his congregation that mm. they did have money to give because you can never outgive God. You can always depend on him. If he can get it through you, he'll give it to you. E.B. Hill said that. Los Angeles-based pastor in 21st, 20th century. So Mr. Mueller's been an inspiration. Uh, Bruce Olson, uh, Amy Carmichael, just a lot of these biographies I read yeah. when I was younger as a, as a student. 
people who stepped out and believed God, and of course, Jesus and the apostles, even before them. But those have been the ones that have been uh, front and center. And then the missionaries that came through our church and hearing them tell the stories of what I read about in the 19th and 18th centuries, what we read about in the first century, it's the same God. And he still does that in the 20th and the 21st century. Those promises are yes and amen in Christ, and he's unchanging. And now, of course, we, we have our own stories that we continue to refer back to each year, the starting of the new year, in fact, this coming weekend, we will have our annual prayer and planning time as a couple. And we spend the first part of that looking back over the previous year and, and chronicling the Lord's care, provision, and grace to us. And that stimulates further obedience because of his past mm-hmm. faithfulness. Mm-hmm. One of the things you mentioned that I want to draw attention to, maybe one of the focuses is, again, not about the money, but about mobilizing the church. That seems to be a common thread that I heard you say. Yeah. So from your own experience, how would you encourage someone who struggles to believe that God will provide? Are there any personal stories that come to mind that highlight his faithfulness? You know, it's funny. I asked my wife, you know, what's the first thing that comes to mind if you're if somebody were going to say, how do you know God's going to provide? Or when's the story of when God provided? And both of us, the first two that came to mind were the same for both of us, which was, hmm. was encouraging. Cool. When we were about to deploy as a couple— we were still about $500 a month short, and we were within a month of getting ready to leave. And we had kind of worked our way through the list, you know, that, that name storming list that, that we created at the beginning of the process and weren't really sure where the remaining portion was going to come from. And I got a phone call one afternoon, and the guy said, uh, hey, would you, would you be available? We need somebody at our church to come to our church missions conference to speak about the part of the world that you're going to go to. And we have people serving there, but they're not in, in the country right now. And we just need somebody to represent that part of the world. Would you mind coming and doing that since you're, you're headed that way and have, or have been there? Mm-hmm. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. That would, that would be an honor. He said, well, while you're here, we can talk about your support. And I said, okay, how did you know we were raising support? And he said, well, didn't you send me a letter? And I said, no, sir. I've never actually been to your, your church before. And so I... I never crossed my mind to send you a letter. He said, well, are you raising support? And I said, yes, we are. And in fact, we're supposed to leave in the next month. We've just got a little bit left. And he said, well, how much have you got left? And so I told him and he said, oh, well, uh, we have our, our committee meeting is tonight. <laughs> and if, if, if you don't get into it tonight, it'll be another month or so before we have another meeting. And that's when you're supposed to be gone. Can you fax me the stuff? That's how, how long ago it was. Can you fax me? Your, the stuff. So he faxed me an uh, application, and I filled it out and faxed it back, and then we did a, a conference call, you know, on the speaker phones and um, with the committee or whatnot. And the next day, they, they they wrote and said, "We want to take care of the last five hundred dollars." I want to say everybody has stories like that. I, I don't know everybody's stories, but for us, yeah. it was another reminder that the Lord's the Lord's commitment to take care of those things beyond our knowledge or our ability to do it. I ended up developing asthma once we got to the field. Uh, the, the place we served had had terrible air pollution and was mm. creating some health problems for me. And we were back in the U.S. Uh, speaking at an event or whatnot. I, you know, I mentioned in, in the course of the kind of the report to the congregation, you know, some of the one of the challenges we faced. I developed asthma living in the country in which we were serving. The air pollution was was really really bad, and and certainly there are people who had much worse health issues than than we did. But uh, but it was part of the privilege of counting the cost of serving in the place that we we lived and worked and. And that we were going to try to find air purifiers to try to, to address that or whatnot. The next day, I got an email from a couple as they were leaving the service. The husband turned to the wife and said, hey, what did the Holy Spirit, does he say anything to you during the service today? 
And she said, yeah, we should give $3,000. And he said, that's what the Holy Spirit told me as well. They wrote to say, we, we want to give you guys $3,000 specifically to use to buy air purifiers, which cost $3,000 wow. to get the whole apartment done. Not something we had gone into that conversation expecting that while we shared it, but the Lord went before us. And then the other one I'll mention, at one point, uh, I changed roles within the organization, and it was a, a change in leadership that necessitated a pretty big reconfiguration of, of my responsibility and my time. And I was teaching at a local university as part of my, my responsibilities in the country. And so I went to the head of the university, and I said, listen, I've been given this leadership opportunity. And he said, oh, does that mean you're going to have to leave teaching here? And I said, no, sure, I really, I really want to keep teaching here. But it's going to take some time to figure out what my capacities are to lead the organization, but also to teach well. And I'm wondering, could I have a semester leave from my teaching, kind of a sabbatical, Mm -hmm. to learn this other leadership responsibility and kind of figure out what the capacities are and then come back the next semester? Would you guys tolerate that? Could you you grant me that sabbatical? And he said, sure, we'd be happy to do that. If I'm keeping you, we'd love to do that. But what we had forgotten was that we would lose the salary, <laughs> salary that that teaching right. responsibility brought. And so suddenly, uh, as we, we began in semester, there was a there was an absence in our income. We received some funding through the organization, but not through the, the university because we weren't teaching. We got to the end of the semester. We counted up the quote unquote odd gifts, odd Oddly money means, yeah. that had come in over the course of that semester, including a, an envelope with 5,000 of the local currency given to us by a local brother. Wow. Um, mm. Out of the blue, completely unprompted in any way by us, just ended up having tea, and he handed us this envelope. I said, what is this? And, and it was it was 5,000 local currency. But wow. we, we and just humbling. I mean, just, I cannot right. tell you how humbling it is to, mm. to take money from the people that you're, you're there to serve. And But anyway, we added it up at the end of the semester with our daughters doing the math, you know, and to the dollar, it was the amount of money wow. that we had, had given up through the sabbatical. And, um, and just those <laughs> types of things where the Lord, the Lord says, look, I'm huge and I can part Red Seas and I can set right. mountains on fire and I can down to, down to pennies and, and cents and dollars. Yeah. I can track this. I'm on top of it. Don't just, just do, awesome. do what I've called you to do. I'll do what I'm responsible to do. And he always does. I keep going for an hour because he's never, ever been unfaithful. Yeah. That's awesome. That is. And, you know, honestly, I just want to call out that it takes real presence to even be mindful of God's provision in that way, you know, to kind of have a, a principle or a practice of remembering, of accounting for what mm-hmm. the Lord has done. I think that's mm-hmm. a really healthy piece of what you're saying. Not only do you strive to just take each day and live it faithfully, but you also strive to to really intentionally be present and remember what God has done, because otherwise, I mean, if you, if you're just kind of like, you know, going on to the next day and the next day and the next day and Mm. and never reflecting what has God done, then, then you do miss the opportunity to Mm. realize, wow, he brought exactly what we needed. It's almost like a discipline that he's been given uh, a more acute awareness of his hand at work, Mm -hmm. of the Lord's hand at work in your life. Like you said earlier, obviously he's been working all of our lives, but you seem to appreciate it when situations are a little bit more dire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guys, can I, can I mention, this one's a little less direct, but there, there have been times over the course of our, our ministry life where people have asked us really tacky questions like, when are you going to get a real job? Mm. <laughs> uh, and, and that was more, more frequent early on when yeah. 
when my wife and I were, were single or, or as a young couple before we had children, and they would ask, you know, how are you going to provide for your, your kids? How are you going to pay for college? All of these types of questions. And the, the reality, we don't know. I, I don't know what's happening tomorrow. And scripture speaks to that as well. But my firstborn, when she finished high school, she was given a scholarship to the university. And so the cost of the university wow. was being borne by the university. So had we, quote unquote, gotten a real job where you're not raising the funds, yeah, I might have saved enough money to pay for school that way. Most people would say, oh, say, look, the Lord's faithful and he covered school costs. That's really not the point of the story, because I could have saved money and paid for school. You know, the scholarship paid for school. That's that's kind of an apples to apples comparison. But the best part is when my oldest chose her college, it ended up being a school where campus outreach has staff. Hmm. And so the first day she's on campus, we're moving her into the dorm and this young woman shows up and engages my daughter in a conversation and has now been meeting with her in Bible study and has started a discipleship relationship. And now my daughter is sharing her faith and has started a discipleship group with some freshman girls that have come to know the Lord. Mm. Um, if if we had quit our job uh, in ministry and had, had quote unquote, gotten a real job and saved up, we could have paid for school, but nobody would have been there mm. to invest in discipling my daughter. Mm. Yeah. But because... Because we were involved in ministry, there are there were people who who were involved in this this staff woman's life who who led her to Christ as a university student who discipled her back down the chain. Our call is to be obedient disciple makers. Hmm. Everything else is the Lord's responsibility. We get the kingdom added to us. All these other things. Yeah. But if we're worried about the money, we might get the money. What about all that other stuff? And the Lord takes care of all of His people, but you're right. Like you, you miss a depth of experience of his provision, uh, when you decide to, to kind of shoulder it all yourself and you get to kind of do that bootstraps mentality. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that, that stood out very well, very clearly in this conversation, Andy, is just hitting that drum again. It's not about the funds, it's about the money. Obviously that's part of what we're about. We advocate that fundraising is a journey of formation. And that God has something bigger at work. It's it's formative. How have you seen, I mean, you've, you've touched on it, but is there anything else you want to say about this, about how you've seen God forming your family as a result of living on support? Is there a big picture takeaway? How how have you been blessed by living off of support for so long? Well, I, I do think our family is, is less intimidated by impossibilities. <laughs> mm. even, even the children, as they've gotten older, they themselves have been invited by the Lord into ministry opportunities that have necessitated the raising of funds. And they have not shrunk back from or been intimidated by that in ways that perhaps some other young people who've not had that experience might yeah. might initially engage with it until they, they encounter it for the first time. And so that's been encouraging to see them leaning into the Lord and, and trusting his, uh, his provision and his, um, his reliability in those mm. things. And I think one of the values in our family is a privilege mentality mm. that we don't, we don't deserve anything but hell. And so even as we engage with our support team, we want to have this posture of, of humility and privilege. We don't expect people to give, we don't expect people to pick up the tab. If we go out to eat with supporters or 
we should be we should get a discount. We're full time ministry, and I do see that in some people. And and as a person who actually supports missions myself and our family, it gets annoying when there's kind of this. I'm, I'm the poor missionary. I'm the poor ministry person. Shouldn't shouldn't you guys pay? And yeah. there's a humility and a privilege mentality that needs to be there, and that we're responsible to save up funds to buy stuff, and not just say, "Well, I just ask my supporters to get that for me." Actually. We can save and delay that purchase, and, and we can we can right. buy that. We don't have to necessarily send off an email and ask the supporters to do that. And there are times when, when hey, we need to share the blessing with supporters in, in this situation. But when we do so, we explain the reason and the rationale behind it, transparency and vulnerability. And so there's, I think those are some of the things that we've seen in our family, values and character that God has, has shaped through, and gratitude. Gratitude is a big one. Right. If there's nothing in our life we've not received, then how can we not have an attitude of gratitude right. each and every day? Yeah. You know, I heard you kind of mentioning what, what we would say is really entitlement, kind of an entitlement attitude that mm. things should be a certain way. And I'm curious, just with your current opportunity and position in working with students, I'm, I'm wondering if you have opportunity to work with students from other home cultures and whether that sense of entitlement is something unique to our <laughs> culture or if that's something that that you see in other cultures or or if you even have enough, I guess, exposure to students from other cultures to speak to that? That is a really insightful question. I do think that our individualistic Western society is more prone to that temptation, perhaps, but it is not unique. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of some national workers even now that, and, and some of it could be linguistic and how it's communicated as well. So I want to be sensitive to that. But sometimes it can come across as, hey, you know, we can't do this if if you don't if you don't give or support it. And that's not always a true assessment. I think sometimes a lack of provision can be a timing thing. The Lord uses that to delay something that doesn't need to happen at a certain time, mm -hmm. or it may be a stewardship issue mm -hmm. that the missionary, the, the ministry person has, has thought, oh, we'll just raise support and do this in the most expedient way, even though it might be a little more expensive. And the Lord would say no, you know, almost like the story of Gideon, where he reduced the size of the army down to, to such a small number that the Lord got glory for himself. Mm. And I'm going to restrict the funding here so that, so that you don't think I'm a good fundraiser or Hey, I had a good strategy. We raised the money and it was the strategy that did it. No, it's the Lord who always bears the fruit. And so sometimes funding or the lack of funding is not a an indication of, of the Lord's displeasure. It's a, a managing of the situation by the Lord to make sure that we're aware for our own benefit and for the benefit of those perhaps being ministered to and watching that he alone gets the glory for those things. Mm -hmm. Sometimes budgets need to be redone and be reduced. And it's amazing to me when budgets do get reduced how it forces levels of creativity hmm, that aren't yeah. typically hmm. uh, addressed. And it's like, oh, we'll just do this. But if the money's not there, we can't do that. And then suddenly different ideas start getting thrown out. And and often it leads us into different paths, far more fruitful than we ever would. At our house, we talk about blind pigs find acorns in the pen too. <laughs> and And sometimes the restriction of funding compels us to be the blind pigs in the pen. And the Lord leads us to these acorns that we wouldn't have, have found otherwise. Mm -hmm. And the lack of funding is not always, well, because of the gospel, it's never because he's angry with us, because he's not angry with us, because he's satisfied in Christ. Yeah. But it's not an indication of displeasure or frustration on his part, which we're tempted to, to think in our flesh. 
he's still working something else. And, and part of it is, is us leaning into and trying to find out what that is. Yeah. yeah. Amen. All right. So are there any practical tools, apps, or resources that you would recommend? I know you previously mentioned that you guys have some systems for organization. I'm not sure if you would want to share that or any anything else that comes to mind that you would recommend to people as they seek to uh, steward their partners well. Sure. Are you guys familiar with a, an online software called MPDX? Yes. We like MPDX. There's also a tool called DonorHub. They typically pull from the same database, but they have different user interfaces. And it's really a matter of preference, but MPDX is a bit more robust in terms of support team management and just being faithful uh, in tracking things like thank you notes, you know, emails that have been sent, responses that have come in, follow up that we've done. It it does get challenging to remember that. I'm not as young as I used to be, so I can't Mm -hmm. remember it off the top of my head. And so, and then obviously things like Constant Contact or MailChimp or, or things like that are really helpful communication tools for electronic communication. And Gmail has some robust services, even in their email templates that you can do through the Gmail service. Yeah, I just mm-hmm. noticed um, they had some new templates available. New to me anyways, yeah. Yeah, and you can create your own templates, which which gives you the base, the body of the, te- the email, and then you can do the personalization uh, that's a- appropriate to maintain that personal connection, but but not having to retype whole emails the whole time, or even the cut and paste. And then, are you familiar with the use slide dial? Say it again. Slidial, S-L-Y-D-I-A-L. No. Tell us about that one. So Slidial um, uh, really addresses such a Gen Z millennial aversion to talking on the phone. <laughs> so they, they'll ghost you sometimes with follow-up if you've had a conversation about support and you're trying to follow up and, you know, we want to support you, we just haven't signed up, or we'll, we'll do that soon. And so Slidial enables you to call their phone, but it goes directly to a missed call situation so they don't have to talk to you or you don't have to talk to them if you don't like talking on the phone. Love it. Um, but you can leave the, you can leave the voicemail and say, hey, I'm sorry, I missed you, but just want to follow up. We had that conversation. Just want to see if there's yeah. any issue with the, the online portal and signing up and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have a problem talking on the phone, but but some people do. And it's a right. it's a really helpful tool, especially if you know, people won't take your call or don't respond to your text. It's a helpful way to get through. That's great because, I mean, texting is, is good and that's one thing, but I really think it's important for people to be able to hear the tone of your voice as you're following up with them. And they're like, you're not that's mad right. that they haven't given yet. And it's really hard to oh, get a person a text message. Yeah. 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 And people might be more inclined to listen to your voicemail because they haven't felt the guilt of not answering the call. Oh, you know sure, what I'm saying? Sure. Like they yeah. just, they just happen that's upon right. the voicemail. <laughs> that's yeah. great. Yeah. I had a guy one time tell me, I don't know how I missed your call. I'm sorry about that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we totally want to say that. So, of course, he never had a chance to pick up the phone because it was slide out. But it is, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting, uh, interesting tool there. That's and it helps great. you kind of get through a lot of, a lot of calls faster, too, because you're not going to. That's that, exactly yeah, right. Right. Good. That's exactly right. Good. Well, I do have one final question as well. You work in an environment, I think, where you have students, maybe that you have individuals who are considering a lifestyle of support raising. And maybe mm-hmm. they feel a call to ministry, but they're paralyzed by the idea of raising funds. So just what is, what's the takeaway? What would you say to somebody in that situation? You're having coffee with them and they bring up that point. Well, Andy, that is not a hypothetical. I have that conversation regularly (laughs) in in my current responsibilities and, and it is the number one obstacle. I mean, number two is probably parents uh, for students, but, but the number one is, you know, how much do I have to raise? Yeah. And, you know, I just start with, that's the wrong question. Mm. How much do I have to raise is the wrong question. 
because you're not raising any of it. Right. So the Lord has already said he'll take care of that. So the bigger question is, are you willing to do the work of building relationships and mm. um, and potentially starting relationships with strangers or people you don't know as well as you think you ought to to have this kind of conversation? Yeah. But then again, that's what you're going to do when you're on campus. You're going to start relationships with strangers and engage in the conversations about deeply personal things that you may or may not have reached the level of intimacy of the relationship to engage them on. So if you're going to do that there, support raising actually is incredibly great preparation for mm, the amen. church planting, for yep. the campus, for the, the ministry yep. you're going to do. Yep. So yeah. get the reps in. This is a mercy, um, but it's ministry. Go do ministry and watch the Lord provide. But you've got to reorient you know, the, the framework from how much money do I have to raise? Uh, the other thing I, I tell them is it's part of your job description. If you think, hey, my job description is to make disciples, this other stuff is getting in the way, then you've not read your job description. Because mm, for all good. of us in this responsibility, this role, part of our job is to raise funds. Right. And we work for a nonprofit, and we, we have a fundraising responsibility. It just happens that the amount of money you're responsible to raise for the nonprofit is roughly equal to your compensation and benefits package. So that's, <laughs> that's great. Mm -hmm. But you're raising funds for the nonprofit. Who is paying you to do your job? Yeah a part of which is fundraising. Right. So there is a there is a mental shift there to go, oh, so part of my job is campus ministry, part of my job is church planting, or part of my job, whatever the ministry is. Yeah. And part of my job is is fundraising. Is and you allocate part of your schedule to that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And look, I don't like making budgets, but it's part of my job description now. Right. It's not like every part of my job is the my favorite thing. Sure. But I, I do it with excellence, and I, I try to do it well. And so, yeah. at some point, somebody says, "I just, I just hate this part of it." Well, ultimately, it boils down to what you believe mm -hmm. um, and how you're thinking about it. And if you can't change your thinking or your beliefs about it, then it may not be long term sustainable. Yeah. But the mm -hmm. Lord has been gracious to us and has given us kindly extended to us the grace to be able to think about it and, and talk about it and, and believe those things that we've been able to press in. And, and He may be asking you to do something that you're extremely uncomfortable with. And that's okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I was talking to that student in the cafeteria or inviting that person to, to the church event. Yeah, we often speak to the reality that the season of ministry partnership development, you know, raising partners, raising funds is like a training ground for for ministry. ministry. I mean, you're you're pushing in and doing the work and ultimately it's only the Lord that provides the fruitfulness of of or whatever he wants to call it's, fruitful from that. It's yeah. It's kind of your part of your extended training and orientation. Yeah. It feels like. It's it's formative, definitely. Yeah. Have you had anybody on, on the podcast speak about about Elijah and the widow previously? <laughs> we haven't had anybody necessarily speak to that, but I I'm so curious what you would have to say about that. Well, it's my favorite support raising passage in scripture because, you know, Elijah has prayed and there's been a famine in the land and there's no food. And so the Lord tells him to go to this widow in Zarephath and ask her to make him a sandwich. And so he gets there. There's this, she has no husband to provide for her. And she's out gathering sticks to make fire to go back. And he didn't know that he sees her and the Lord says, go, go ask her for a sandwich. So he walks up to her and says, Hey, I know there's a famine in the land and nobody's got any food, but would you make me a sandwich? That is the most audacious, uncomfortable support raising <laughs> conversation I can possibly imagine. Right. Mm -hmm. 
And of course, her response is, we don't have any food except for one more sandwich. I'm, I'm gathering sticks. We're going to go back and cook the sandwich. My, my son and I are going to eat it, and then we're going to die because we don't have any more food. Mm-hmm. And I think, okay, if I'm having a conversation with somebody and I ask them to be, you know, would you like to be a part of what God's doing in this in this ministry? You can be a part of this ministry as well. And their response is, you know, this horrible, horrible situation. You know, my, I'll tell you, my response is, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. I wasn't aware. Totally understand. Here, can I give you some money? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of ways to respond. Yeah. And Elijah doubles down and says, that's okay. Make the sandwich for me anyway. Right. That is just audacious beyond comprehension. We have to be comfortable with, with discomfort if we're going to be in ministry because we're calling people to believe what's invisible. Yeah. That there's a different way that the Lord works than what we see with our eyes and what the culture around us tells us is normal and healthy and right. Yeah. And so to say, now, this is better. This is better than what you could buy. That's It's better than that that expensive extra latte. It's better than new hoodie, sweat, sweatshirt or whatever. <laughs> this is better. Mm-hmm. But he didn't force her. He just said it's better. He invited her. And then the wonder of the story is not that he asked a second time, but then she said, oh. Okay. (laughs) And she went back and made him the last sandwich in her house as her son is looking at her like, what are you doing? That looks tasty. And she gives him the sandwich. And she gives him the sandwich. And of course, the Lord comes through and provides for her and her son until the famine ends in in, in miraculous ways. And she would have missed out. She would have starved to death at the end of the day, or that would have been her last sandwich had Elijah not support raised from her. Had he not encouraged her to trust God, but God would have provided for Elijah another way if she had said, no, I'm fully persuaded of that. But he, she would not have experienced the miracle of the provision had she not leaned in. But that was only available to her because Elijah asked yeah. and leaned mm-hmm. in the second time. I, I love that story. It challenges me every time to say, do you really love these people that you would ask mm-hmm. them or are you robbing them? Mm what God might want to do in their life yeah. because you won't ask them and invite them and, and, yeah. and reassure them. He's true. He is who he says he is. He is faithful and reliable and good and beautiful and ample. And yeah, and mm. you want to be a part of this. Don't miss out. Mm, amen. Yeah. And, and the Lord obviously blessed this widow in abundance, far beyond she could have imagined. He blessed Elijah through this. I think we often forget about the Lord is also interested in his glory in his name. And if he had directed Elijah to the rich guy up on the hill, well, he would have been giving out of his abundance and is like, oh, of course he can afford that. Mm. But in this situation, if God doesn't show up, people die. Mm. And so I think think we have to factor that into our fundraising as well, that God is interested in his glory, even in that process. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Well, Andy, we have had such a rich discussion. It has been wonderful having you here with us today. We do have just one final question for you. It's a standard question. We ask all of our guests in closing, you have $10,000 that you have to give away today. You have five seconds to decide who or what do you give it to and why? Uh, there are a couple of, of non-American uh, campus staff that, that I know and love that I would, I would immediately give it to, not just because of the challenge that they face in raising funds, but I know the stewardship and the faithfulness in their ministry and the fruitfulness of their ministry, even without the ease of funding. And that's probably the first place that we I would go with that. Mm. Cool. 
I love it. In my experience, I work strictly with with Americans, and what I like to encourage them in is this is new territory for you, perhaps this this whole fundraising thing, but it's not new for the majority of people in churches in America. You're walking into something that's very well established within Protestantism in in, in the American in the American Church. But that's not the case in, in some of these countries. Yeah. Like, this is brand new and there's no paradigm for it. So yeah, that's a great answer. Love it. Thanks, Andy. Thank you guys so much. This is, this is a joy. It's a real honor and a privilege. It's Not About the Money is presented by Provisio Fundraising Solutions. Provisio equips support-based workers with flexible training, practical resources, and one-on-one coaching. Find out more at provisiofundraising.com.